0: Welcome to session number seven. Get some of the guys close those doors. Thank you back there. And uh, let's pray. Father, I thank you for tonight. Thank you for our health, our families, for your church, for the promises, for your word, for your Holy Spirit, for hope. And all this is from you. And every good and perfect gift we've ever known or ever will know comes from you, the Father of the heavenly lights. And, And tonight we begin by just saying thank you. I pray that as we open your word. And go through these three parables of Jesus, you will enlighten us, open our minds to understand the scriptures, which is to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why parables? He could have picked a million ways to communicate, but he chose parables, stories. So in almost every one of these sessions, I begin with kind of that question. And the reason is this. There was a reason he used parables. It's not a coincidental. It's not accidental. There's a purpose. And it does include a mystery. And the mystery is, he who has ears to hear, let him hear and understand. It is a mystery. So here we go. Luke 8, 8, why parables? When he had said this, Jesus, when he said this, he called out, Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now, the reason I make a big deal out of that is if you go over to the Revelation, Jesus tells John to write down textual letters. In other words, he's just writing down what Jesus says. And he's writing down a letter that's dictated by Jesus to John to seven churches. And all seven churches say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear and understand what the Spirit says to the church. So, you see, this, this isn't just a parable issue. This is an issue to the seven churches in Revelation. It's an issue that, are you listening? Ultimately, the whole ears to hear is, are you listening? Blessed is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for he will be filled. Are you listening? Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Does the world present an opportunity for you to seek out something that's true, that's bigger than we are? So... Let's jump into parable uh, number 20 in our list of 35, and um, it's the laborers in the vineyard. Matthew 20 verse one. "For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning, we'll call him a, uh, an eight o'clock person, eight early one morning." Now now what are we talking about? The kingdom of heaven? is like a landowner who goes out early one morning 8 o'clock to hire workers for the vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage, sent them out to work. So this landowner's gone out and he's hired some guys 8 o'clock, let's go to work. At 9 o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace, saw some people standing around doing nothing. He must have been in the American culture at that point. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So, what do we got in the store? We got some 8 o'clock hirees and we got some 9 o'clock hirees. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. So, we've got four groups of people hired inside the same day. At 5 o'clock that afternoon, He was in town again, and he saw some more people standing around. What are y'all doing standing around at five o'clock? And he asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. Now, Now, why is Jesus telling this story? The kingdom of heaven is like. He's doing this for those who have ears to hear. He's going to tell us what the kingdom of heaven's like. It won't be what you were expecting. I can guarantee you that. Verse 8. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. I told you this will not be like you thought. You wouldn't start with the last ones first, would you? He's starting with the five o'clock hirees first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. Whoa, this is a cool place to work, right? You work one hour. So let's assume quitting time's at six. They work one hour, get a full day's pay. I like that. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed, because they'd already heard about this one hour all day pay thing. When they came to get their pay, they assumed they'd receive more. Whoa, this is great. But they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour. That's how we know it was a six o'clock waiting time. They only worked one hour and yet you paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, Friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay that last worker, this last worker, the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then. And those who are first will be last now. Now this is important. This parable Jesus tells us is about the kingdom of heaven. Which means it's probably not going to be like you thought it would be. Right? Isn't that what this parable is? This is not what you thought it would be. This is not what normal people, this is not how normal people get paid, is it? I preached a sermon on this parable back in November of 2021. I titled the sermon. There might be three of you in here that remember that. And it was titled, Not Too Late. So I thought it was good. So I'm using some of those notes in this uh, session tonight. And and ask the question. So some of these notes I just pulled over while I was putting this together. Um, Which person in the story are you? Because here's how I want to look at this parable tonight. Everybody in the room is in the story somewhere. Okay, me too. We're all in here. Either I'm the eight o'clock guy. I've, I've been working in the vineyard for a long time. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you're a nine o'clocker or you're a noon or three o'clock or five o'clock. Or there's a possibility that in reality you're still standing next to Walmart waiting for the truck to come by. You're still looking for a job. Why is Jesus telling the parable? Well, the answer is in the first sentence, right? The first sentence is the kingdom of heaven is like the story. So here's where it gets interesting. The best part is when the early birds get upset. It's called truth. So I'm going to repeat verse 13 through 16. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree? Isn't the contract the agreement with you? Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind? Just let that sink in. And why are you mad that I'm nice? Why does it make you mad that I'm, in, I'm really nice to five o'clock people? So those who are last now will be first then. Those who are first will be last. Two things I want to look at and draw out of here. One is this. I'm afraid that much of the church today has the mentality of the before-lunch crowd. Do you see it? I think a lot of church people have this mentality, and it's kind of a natural thing. That's why this story makes so much sense, or unsense. Much of the church has this mentality of the before lunch crowd. We've been doing this vineyard working in the hot sun thing for a long time now, and how dare you, five o'clock people, come in and act like you're special, All right? Because you know what? I've been here a long time. I got seniority, All right, I got look at my clock number. It's way back there. Is that you today? I have a question. Is it your vineyard? Is it your kingdom? You see, as painful as it is, that's the point of this parable. That's, that's what he's trying to communicate. If you've got ears to hear, but what if ears to hear reveal something that you don't want to hear? Then you don't have ears to hear. It doesn't change the story at all. You just you don't want to hear it. The second, and and are you jealous about something that doesn't even belong to you in the first place? Why why would those five o'clock people, excuse me, the eight o'clock people be jealous of the five o'clock people's wages when you got exactly what you contracted for? Here's the second thing. It's not too late. How wonderful is that thought that God and the kingdom of heaven Still calls people at five o'clock knowing that this thing shuts down at six. Does that make any of y'all mad? Because it tickles me pink. I'm excited about the idea that our God thinks like that. He still got the door open at five o'clock. Knowing that when it gets dark at six, this thing closes. It's not too late. So what does it mean it's not too late? Faith comes by hearing. What happened in town when the landowner came? He issued an invitation to come work in the vineyard. Okay? Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So faith is somebody called me. Hey, would you like to come work in the vineyard? It doesn't matter whether that calling came to you at 8 o'clock in the morning or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. What's important is that you heard the call, you received the call, and went to work in the vineyard when you got the call. If you start focusing on the fact that, well, I got called at 8 o'clock, you, you miss the entire point. It's not about the time of your call. The way, In fact, Jesus says... If that's who you are and that's how you think, I'm going to trade places. I'm going to flip you down on the bottom. And I'm going to put that person on the top. I'm going to trade places. I'm going to force you down and force him up. Why? Because you're not getting it. You're not, under, you're not understanding. it. You're part of the problem. You're not part of the solution. You, you are the problem. Do you really think? And here's the faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And today... In this story, you got a job offer. Do you really think standing there doing nothing's going to end well for you? That's why I always look. And let me just pull it to a a physical example to people who are content to draw on employment when there's jobs available. Do you really think that's a long-term advantage for you? You think you're going to really pick up a whole lot of skill sets sitting home watching daytime TV? You're going to lose your mind. Do you really think that in life, and that's just a physical example of a spiritual reality, do you really think standing around doing nothing is going to end well for your life? This really, yep, this is the route for me. No, it isn't. Not for anybody. Do you really think standing there doing nothing is comparable to a job with a generous landowner in the kingdom of heaven? Because that's what the story is about. And here it comes. Do you want to really know the heart of the landowner? You'll never know the heart of the landowner until you hear the invitation and join him in the vineyard. And then you'll get to know who he is. Not when he, I saw his truck drive by and invite people to come to work, but I didn't go down there to the vineyard. Well, then you'll never know who he is. Do you want to receive the heart of the landowner? Because here it is, verse 14. Here's the heart of the landowner in the kingdom of heaven. Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do that? Do what I want with my money. Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So here's what he's saying. Does it offend you that Jesus wants to pay the workers to accept the invitation to come to work in the vineyard at five o'clock the same as he pays the ones that came to work at eight o'clock in the morning? Does that offend you? Why? And when I preached this sermon, um, whenever that was, a year ago or whenever, I told a story, and I want to share it again. I told a story, um, which I love the story. I was bivocationally preaching. I wasn't in full-time ministry, but I was preaching somewhere every week. And I was preaching— I'm not going to say, because I'll get in trouble. So I was preaching somewhere, okay? I was preaching somewhere, and I I ended up being there for about a year as an interim. But the first Sunday that I got there, the first Sunday, nobody knew me except just a handful of people. I walk in just like a total stranger to a church, a fairly large church. And um, I used to make a habit, if I would go into the church just to speak the first time, I would sit somewhere right in there, like where Mark sat, right in there just kind of incognito until I got re- introduced, and then I'd stand up and preach. Well the very first Sunday I get to this church, nobody knows me, and I go to that seat, kind of what's normal for me, and, and I see a pillow there. That ought to have been the first sign. <laughs> me, I'm a little slow sometimes, so I sit there by that pillow. I kind of sit, I didn't sit on the pillow, I just sit next to the pillow. And I'm waiting for church service to start. And this little lady, she comes in there. She walks over and I thought she was going to say, howdy. She didn't say howdy. She said, you've got my seat. She had no idea I was the preacher. And when they entered- so I I didn't say no. I didn't make a fuss. I just gave her her seat. And then in a few minutes, after a few songs, they introduced me, that poor lady. She was about to turn inside out that she just made a fool out of herself over her pillow. And later we became friends, that's fine. But you know what? What would make a person do that? Because here's the point. What would what, what make you do that? I got seniority. I've been in this church since 8 o'clock in the morning. And you, you're a five o'clocker that just got here and I don't even know your name. It's real. It's deadly. Do you know it? It's deadly to the body of Christ. If somebody walks in that door and this is their first time, they ought to get the same treatment as I do, as you do. doesn't matter who you are. From God's perspective, that person at that moment should be getting better treatment. Better, not equal to, better. Why? Because they're nervous about being here. Uh, just a few weeks ago, um, we had a Sunday that, ju- that, first in the series of Jerusalem, we had 1,069 people in two services. And it was crowded. It was crowded. Yes, it was crowded. And, and we were having trouble getting people during the song service because everybody's standing up to get seats to come in because they couldn't find the seats. And, and the idea is, <clears throat> you know, scoot in. Well, I do not scoot in. My pillow's on the end. <laughs> scoot in. You see it? The kingdom of heaven is like this. I don't want to. It doesn't matter whether you want to. That's how. it's deadly if somebody's walking in for the first time you immediately have just given them an image that yeah you're looking down on me because I just came in at 5 o'clock and you're an 8 o'clock in the morning guy if it ends like that I'm going to tell you he's already said what he's going to do he's going to turn it over he's going to move you down he's going to move them up so just go and scoot over give them the best seat that's that. What's this about? Give them the best seat. Now, here's the point. Jesus said, would that make you jealous that I'm kind? I'm going to tell you. I wrote, I remember writing this. I am in awe that the kingdom of God desires to give the late arrivals the same as the long-term employees. Does that make me jealous? No. That makes me excited. Why? Because this, I'm in awe. This is the heart of God for anyone who will accept the invitation of the vineyard. I'm looking forward to spending an eternity with a king that thinks like that. You know what? That's why I'm excited, because this king that thinks like that has offered me a place in the vineyard in eternity. Whoa. Sometimes it's easier to receive grace than it is to give grace. Right? You five o'clock people, that's- remember last week's story about mercy versus justice? So when- so now let's talk about the not too late. When would be a good time or the right time to accept the invitation to go to work in the vineyard? When he calls you to come. Today is the day of salvation. Now, I want to ask three questions uh, that I put in that sermon back when I preached it. And, And it has application for us tonight. And I want, and, and it's to make you think deeply inside this story. Here's the first question. Were the five o'clock guys there in town doing nothing that morning when the landowner called the early birds? Here's what I'm trying to get you to do. Was it possible that in the story, and it's just a story, okay, so I'm not trying to make this complicated, but when the landowner came in at, at eight o'clock and said, I'm looking for people to come to work. Were there's a group of people that didn't come that heard the invitation that just didn't come. No, nah, too early, too early. I haven't had my coffee yet, so I'm not going. Question number two. Was the five o'clock guys calling the sixth time that there had been a calling to come and work in the vineyard. In other words, there's a large group of people in town when the when the landowner comes looking for help. But not everybody comes when he calls. Not everybody comes and gets in the truck and goes to the vineyard. So so this guy, let's just make a hypothetical that there's a group of people, let's just call it one guy, the 5 o'clock guy, that he's he was there at 8 o'clock when the call, and he was there at 9 o'clock when the call, and he was there at noon, and he was there at 3. He was there at all those times, and it wasn't until 5 that he decided that, yeah, I'm going to get on the truck and go to the vineyard. It's, it's, I'm trying to make you think. Question number three. Was the calling of the five o'clock guy the last time, his last chance to get on the truck to go to the vineyard? Now, I've answered all of those in your notes. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But so I won't focus on what I don't know. I'll focus on what I do know. The correct time to respond to the invitation of the landowner to work in his vineyard is when he calls your name. Come. What's the right? I, I don't know the answer to the other questions. What am I trying to communicate? How many chances do you get to ignore the call to come to the vineyard? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. So what should I focus on? What I do know. When he calls you, you better go. Why do I say that? The kingdom we're talking about is eternal. But you all need to understand something called truth. The kingdom is eternal. The calling is not. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is no guarantee that you will forever get an invitation into that vineyard. Somebody said, well... Five o'clock? No, no, no. You're not understanding the story. Eventually, it gets dark in the story. And the vineyard closes. You understand that? Not everybody's in the vineyard when it got dark. Verse John 6, 44. Jesus makes this declaration. Kind of, it's one of two verses that totally radically transformed my view of evangelism. My role in evangelism. Jesus says, for no one can come to me unless... No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. I've had several people in my 30 years of ministry confess Christ on their deathbed. Uh, I can close my eyes right now and I can see some of those moments in my brain. I'm going to say I don't recommend that process. I'd rather you didn't call me and do that on your deathbed. Um, But I believe God in those moments was offering them a five o'clock moment of salvation. And listen, I've heard a lot of preachers talk about that over my lifetime. And I just want to put it like this. I am not offended that God would invite a, a deathbed confession. I'm in awe. That he would. Do you see the difference? Does that offend me? No. Why would that offend me? I'm thinking, that's the most incredible thing I've ever seen. If, If this is true, that no, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And if that person laying on that bed, getting ready to breathe his last breath, that God says, come. Yeah, that's my response. This is incredible. But you know what? Many people would say, that don't sound fair to me. Be careful. He's going to flip that thing over. Be careful where you are. Is it ever too late? Here's probably the biggest message. Because you can read too much into this parable, too, if you're not careful. Is it ever too late? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it's too late. You can run out of time. Right? You can run out of time. Your day can turn into darkness, eternal darkness. In this story, at six o'clock, it got dark. The Bible says that rejecting the word can bring a time when your mind can no longer discern truth. What's this whole series of parables about? He who has ears to hear, let him hear and understand what the Spirit is saying to the church, to what the Spirit says. Is there a point in which you will no longer be able to hear the landowner say, come to work in the vineyard? Yes. Do I know where that's at? No. Is is there such a time? Yes. How do I know that? Well, to reject God's Word is to reject God. Because the Word became flesh. They are one. Romans 128. Everybody, if you study much of the New Testament, you'll know Romans chapter 1. It defines a time in which, uh, go up there, John 6:44. There's a time in which John 6:44 will no longer exist in your life. Now go up there and look at that. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws into me. If you reject the word, reject the word, reject the word. That's why I gave the analogy earlier. <clears throat> was the five o'clock there when the eight o'clock in the morning call came? Was he there when he came back at nine? Was he there when he came back at twelve? Was he there when he came back at three? Was five o'clock the last call? And if he hadn't taken it at five, was that it? Was that was when it was going to happen? Because here's why I say that. Romans 1.28. Since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God. That That's landowner I don't care about your vineyard since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done is that too late remember the King James version I will give them a reprobate mind I had to go look that up actually you know what a reprobate mind is I'll just make it simple. You will never have ears to hear. You'll never get it. They could preach to you 24 hours a day, and you'll never hear them. They could invite you into the landowner's vineyard for years. You'll never hear them. Why? Your mind cannot comprehend because you reached a point to where You rejected it. Where is that? I don't have any idea where that line's at. But I'll tell you what. When's the right time? So quit dealing with what you don't know and deal with what you do know. When's the right time to accept the invitation to go to work in the vineyard? When the landowner calls your name. Go. Today. Before it gets dark at 6 o'clock. Hebrews 3, 7. This is what the Holy Spirit says. Today, when you hear His voice, don't wait till five o'clock today when you hear his voice don't harden your heart as Israel did when they rebelled when they tested me in the wilderness there there, uh, there, your ancestors tested and tried my patience even though they saw my miracles for 40 years so I was angry with them and I said their hearts always turn away from me they refuse to do what I tell them so in my anger I took an oath is it too late do you ever cross a point with God in my anger I took an oath What's the, they will never enter my place of rest. Which means there'll be no pay at the end of the day and no reward. They will never enter that rest. This offer to come to work in the Father's vineyard is the greatest expression of love and mercy ever given on the earth. The very fact that the Creator of the universe would ask you to come into His vineyard is the greatest expression of love and mercy ever manifest on the planet. 2 Corinthians 6.1, as God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Is this your five o'clock moment? Do you know anyone like this? So, so if you're here on a Wednesday night, more than likely you, hel- you fully understand this today comment. But I've got another question. Do you know people personally, personally, that still have not received the invitation, accepted the invitation to go to work in the vineyard? Because the answer is yes, you do. Yes, you do. And, and so do I. And the question is, what responsibility do you now bear in this ministry? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you and I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the last instruction. Some of the last instructions we had from our king before he went to the Father. Here's one last view, and then we'll turn the page. I have had people, numerous people, look me straight in the eye and say something like this. You know, I've rejected God's offer my entire life, and now that I've gotten old, it seems a little weird to me to finally accept it. Really? But I, there's, a, there's a human rationale to that. Well, I've, I've I've not believed this stuff for all this time. Why would I start to believe it now? Even though I kind of do, I don't feel like it's fair that I come in at 5 o'clock. Actually devaluing themselves to the point that they almost acknowledge the truth of the 5 o'clock invitation, but don't feel worthy to accept it. I can tell you there's none of us worthy to accept it. But if he offers you a job in the vineyard at 5.59, you better go into the vineyard. Right? I remember singing a hymn when I was a kid. In fact, they sang this hymn all the time. I can right now tell you every word of this song. Almost Persuaded. When I was growing up, here's here's that that song, some of y'all- how many of y'all know that song? Raise your hand. Okay, y'all went to one of those churches too. (laughs) Sang it over and over. and It's like this is the only song in the book. Almost Persuaded, harvest is past. Almost Persuaded, doom comes at last almost cannot avail almost is but to fail sad sad the bitter whale almost is lost the people who taught me that song when i was a kid um, are mostly all gone now that tells you that i've gotten old they either went into the light of the king's eternal vineyard listen got two choices they either went into the light of the king's eternal vineyard or they went into the darkness of hell or they're still here. And I just told you the truth. Nobody almost does anything. We're either in or we're out. We're either in the the vineyard or we're not in the vineyard. The Father is calling people into the vineyard before the harvest time is past. Almost but lost. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God as of right now, today, it's not too late. I don't know how much longer we're going to be able to say that. Today, we've all been called to come to work in the landowner's glorious garden vineyard forever. It is an eternal calling called the invitation from God to come join him in his work Of preparation for the occupation. I just love that scene. Right now, what are we doing? Right now, we're in the preparation for the future occupation. We're preparing for the kingdom that is coming. His kingdom is coming, and we're preparing for its arrival and our king. Who would turn down this wonderful offer? Only unbelievers. What's at stake? The kingdom of heaven. The landowner gave out the paychecks at the end of the day in Jesus' story. The kingdom of heaven is eternal, but the calling, it's not. There could be a time in which the last chance for you to come in passed, almost, but lost. My conclusion to this parable is this. It's not too late until it's too late. Think about that one. It's not too late, and it's too late Romans 10 16 but not everyone welcomes the good news for Isaiah the prophet said Lord who has believed our message so faith comes by hearing that is hearing the good news about Christ parable number 21 the friend at midnight Um, this one deals with what the New Living Translation calls shameless persistence I kind of love that translation. Jesus tells this next parable in context of him revealing the Lord's Prayer. Are you with me? You almost got to always figure out what the context of the story is. So he's going to reveal the Lord's Prayer, and, here, and the parable come in conjunction with it. This teaching of Jesus reveals the heavenly value and purpose of prayer. So here we go, verse 5. Then teaching them about more about prayer, he used a story, a parable. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. And you say to your friend, remember it's midnight, okay? It's bedtime. So you say to your friend, uh, you say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom. It's midnight. Your friend calls out from the bedroom. Don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. We're closed. Okay? Verse 8. But I tell you, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Persistence. Can you imagine this is a story of Jesus? Does it kind of make you want to smile? You see what he's saying? That guy doesn't like you enough to give you three loaves of bread at midnight. He doesn't like you that much. In fact, he really doesn't like you very much because it's midnight. But he'll get up and get you bread for one reason. Because you ain't going to quit knocking until he gives you bread. Jesus is telling That story. Anybody getting it? You got ears to hear? He doesn't like you that much, but he's gonna give you three loaves of bread because you won't quit knocking. Where's this going? It's called shameless persistence. Verse nine. And I tell you, so so Jesus is just giving a story to try to make you get it. So I tell you, Jesus said, I tell you, in light of this story, keep on asking. Keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find, keep on knocking and the door will be open. Even if it's midnight for everyone who asks, receives and everyone who seeks, finds and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Your fathers, excuse me, you fathers. If your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake and stay it? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit? We're not talking about scorpions and fish anymore, are we? What? what? If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, if you ask Him? Now, the NLT calls it shameless persistence. This is clearly valued by God in the issue of prayer. Now, I I worked 17 years for a Japanese company, and I was way into my early years When Japan sent over an older guy to mentor me for a couple of years, and he was a real old dude. He was really kind of one of these wise Solomon guys, and um, I think I almost drove him insane. But anyway, he came over to mentor me, and it took uh, a long time before he actually told me something that helped me understand much of the early years I worked in that company. I don't know if it applied to all Japanese companies, but it did inside the one I worked for. Um, he told me that they had a management strategy that did this. They believed, and it was taught to them since early in management school, that um, the real problems always rose to the top. Anything that required real attention always naturally rose to, let's say it rose to this level. Anything down here was just nuisance, you need to let it go. And the way you could determine what was here and what was here is when somebody came, your subordinate, which would be me in that case, would come to him and something, he would just ignore me. Get out of here. Just get out of here. I'm not listening to you. Get out of here. Unless I came back. And then he would get out of here. About the 10th time, I would come and say, no, I'm not getting out of here. This time I got to do something. About the 10th time, he would, for the first time, listen to me. Now, I thought the guy just didn't like me for a long time. I thought, or, can you not hear? Or, or, or is, are we not communicating here? I mean, it just made me matter, which made me go back and forth more often. Little did I know that it took years for him to finally own up to the fact, that's what we're taught in management school. We're going to ignore you until it becomes so big that you're no longer willing to stop asking for it. And then I will finally listen to you, and more than likely I'll give it to you. I don't think he was doing it for biblical reasons either. But you see that Jesus is using that to describe prayer. How many things in your life, and I've really thought about this a lot this afternoon when I was finishing this up. I wonder how many times in your life that you gave up before he was going to give it to you. And you quit asking. If you'd asked just a few more times, he he was maybe going to say, okay. Why do I say that? Okay, let's go to Matthew 15, 21. Um, It's one of the greatest examples of shameless persistence. Jesus with a Gentile woman, okay? With a Gentile woman. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to Jesus pleading. Now understand, Jesus is a Jew, okay? This is going to be important a little bit later here tonight too. Have mercy on me, this Gentile woman says, o son, O Lord, Son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply. Not even a word. So you see this shameless persistence thing that he's talking about? Then his disciples urged him to send her away. She's like that midnight asking for three loaves of bread person. You know, get her out of here. She's annoying us. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all of her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. Now, I know that you hear him say that and you think, wow, that sounds kind of harsh coming from Jesus. But the fact of the matter is, the truth is, Jesus was sent first to the Jewish people. He's just stating the truth. But she did something. In that moment, what did she do? She'd go lower her head and say, I didn't get what I wanted. I'm leaving. That's not what happened. Instead, she came, verse 25, but she came and worshiped him. At the moment that most people would have gave up, he just offended me. I I didn't come for you Gentiles. I came for the lost sheep of Israel. Get out of here. Instead of leaving and stopping her request, she gets down and worships him. Whoa. And she pleads, keeps asking. No, I'm not leaving. It's midnight and you got three loaves of bread that I'm wanting. You see it, and I'm not. I'm not leaving. I'm going to keep asking, Lord, help me. Verse 26. I got goosebumps. Jesus responded, "It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to dogs. Surely that'll get rid of her. Won't did He just call her a dog? That'll get rid of her, right? It's not good." To take food from the children and throw it to dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord. But even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. Oh, man. You want to know what the king thinks that we serve? Here's what he thinks. Dear woman, Jesus said, your faith is great. Yes. Yes. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. What do what those two stories tell you? How many people give up praying too soon? I don't know how many marriages uh, have had come into me and, the, and they, I can't take it anymore. I said, keep praying. Just, just keep praying. Just don't quit. Wear God out. Um, and they finally quit. Quit praying. And it falls apart. How many times do you quit praying just right before there was going to be a breakthrough? Uh, There's this, I told you that I prayed this prayer. I think it's Isaiah 62. And and it says, um, it's about a prayer for Jerusalem. May I not rest or give you rest until you have made Jerusalem and her king the praise of this whole earth. Isaiah 62. May I not rest and give you no rest. May I keep bothering you. I'm asked. Isaiah 62 says I should pray that prayer. May I not rest. May Terry Cooper not rest. And may Terry Cooper not give God any rest until God makes Jerusalem and Jerusalem's king, Jesus, the praise of the whole earth. So every day I pray that prayer. And you know what? I don't ever quit praying that prayer. May I not rest. And may I not give you rest until you've made Jerusalem and her king the praise of the whole earth. What? It's persistence. Why? Because ultimately, that's my ultimate prayer. Because I know what's going to happen when Jesus becomes king in Jerusalem. By the way, that's part five coming Sunday. Okay? Can you see it? This is how God sees prayer. This This is maybe not how you see prayer. But that's the whole point of the parable. So that now you see prayer like he sees prayer. It's shameless persistence. And, I, and, and here's what he said. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you'll receive. Keep on, uh, you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You know how most people read that? <clears throat> If I ask you today, I'll get it today, and if I don't get it today, I'll quit asking because your answer was no. Do you have ears to hear? Because that is not what he said. What did he say? Keep on asking, keep on knocking, don't give up. Tracy Briscoe, a dear friend of mine, died years ago. I was in the hospital with him right before he died. I think maybe the day, maybe two days before he died. And we had a really long conversation about this last section, verses 11. Um, Never forget the conversation. And he explained to me why this was so powerful to him. uh, Knowing that he had, and he knew, he had about two days left and then he died. But he was totally coherent during those two days until he died. And this is the scripture that we shared that day together. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask you for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? I apologize. Of course not. So if you sinful people, to give good gifts to your children. How much more? Will your heavenly father know how to give you the Holy Spirit if you ask him? Did you ask him? There's a story in the Old Testament that Elisha receives the mantle or the calling of Elijah. And after Elisha receives the calling of Elijah, he makes this request. He asks for an extra measure of the spirit of God that God gave Elijah. I I don't want what you got. I want two of those. What? I want two of them on a double measure and I've always thought to myself in fact that's that's a prayer that I prayed for many years that same thing Um, did you ask him? if you are sinful and you know how to give good gifts to your children how do you see your father? do you see him that he wouldn't give you the Spirit in full measure, if you truly desired it, do you think you wouldn't? That goes deeply into my conversation with Tracy those last days. I think it's why it's still a tender spot. Last one for tonight, uh, number 22, parable number 22, the Good Samaritan, probably one of the most famous of all of them. If that last parable was about shameless persistence of prayer, this one's about giving mercy, 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 mercy. The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? That's where the parable starts. Who is my neighbor? So Jesus replied with a parable. He replies with a story. A Jewish man, and that Jewish man is important, He's a Jewish man. He's traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he's attacked by bandits. The bandits stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. Now, what we got right now? We got a, a, a half dead, stripped, naked Jewish guy laying on the road. Okay? Jesus is telling the story. A half dead... Naked Jewish guy laying on the road. By chance, a priest. Now what's a priest? You got to get these characters lined up. A priest, <clears throat> he's not just a Levite, he's a priest. So he's from the family of Aaron. He's a, a special priest, okay? He's got to be from the bloodline of, of Moses and Aaron. You got to come down. He, he's a really special guy. He, he's, he stands between man and God. All right, he's appointed to be in, uh, stand between man and God, so that God will reveal Himself to the Jewish people through a priest. Right, God's going to show the Jewish people who He is by using priests. Okay, by chance, a priest. We got a half-dead, naked Jewish guy laying on the road, and here comes a priest. Well, that ought to fix everything, right? Story's over. That's not what happens. By chance, a priest came along. But when the priest saw the man lying there, the half-dead, naked Jewish guy, he crossed on the other side of the road and passed him by. Why? Aren't priests supposed to be, like, priestly? Huh? This is messy. He's naked. Uh, You know, this is messy. I don't have time for this. Yeah, I got things to do. So... He goes on by. Nothing happens. The guy's still laying there half dead naked. Verse 32, a temple assistant. Now, some translations would say a Levite. That would be the next down in the ranking order of Jewish religiosity. Now you got a Levite. And you know what? The Levites were there. They were there to assist the priest in doing the temple worship. They they, they could work in the temple, but they had to work with a priest to be in the temple. So now you got a temple assistant walking over and he looked at him lying there, at least he gave him a look, and he also passed by on the other side. So we're not doing very well with religious people dealing with half-dead naked people laying on the road. We're not doing very good, not so far. And then a despised Samaritan. Now here's why it's important, who's laying on the road half-dead naked? A Jewish man. Okay. Both of those first two, the priest and the Levite, are both Jewish, Jewish, Jewish. Everybody's Jewish until this part. Now we have a despised Samaritan. Ooh. He came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus is asking the question. Let let me just, let me be silly and say, "Um, I don't know. Which one? Was it, the, was it the priest? Was it the, the Levite? Or, or was it the Samaritan? This is not hard. Isn't then why is it so hard? Why is, if this is that simple, why is this his parable? Because it looks simple, but it's not. It's not. Do you doubt that? Stay with me. The man replied, to one who showed him mercy. Jesus says, now go do the same. It, why does this rank so high in the parables? Do you understand? Do you have ears to truly understand? The Samaritan is equal to the Gentile woman in the previous story. This Samaritan, I want you to put all three of these together. This Samaritan is equivalent to the Gentile woman in the previous story that he said, get out of here and I don't want her. Get out of here. He is also, this Samaritan is also equal to the five o'clock convert. Okay? Stay with me. The Jews considered the Samaritans to be half-breeds and unclean under Jewish law. I don't have time to get into the details of that. Just understand. They considered them to be half-breeds, mixed-breeds. Uh, sent back after the occupation uh, of the Assyrian conquest. The Samaritans only held the first five books of the Old Testament to be uh, holy books Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So th- they only held those five, and, and they were half breeds, so the Jews just we, we're not going to have any part of you. They they, they, worshiped in, they didn't worship in Jerusalem. They worshiped in Samaria. There's all kinds of reasons, but they didn't get along with each other. The Samaritans were not allowed in the temple worship in Jerusalem in the time of Jesus. They could not come in there. So when Jesus is telling the story about a Samaritan being the one to do what the priest and the Levite should be doing, but they're not, this has real implications, because they're not even allowed in the Jerusalem temple. And yet they're the very person that Jesus uses to describe mercy. Do you see what he's doing? He's trying to get people to hear with their ears the truth. Not what you think is true, not what you're comfortable with, but the truth, truth. The Jew, the Jews, excuse me, both of them, the priest and the Levite, were like the 8 a.m. people in the vineyard parable. And the Samaritan was the five o'clock crowd. They didn't like the idea that they could come into the vineyard, into the kingdom of heaven. Now, much of the priest and the Levite are much like the church today. The church today, much of the church today, let's be honest, let's have ears to hear, But I don't really want to get messed up with too much of this messy world stuff. It's dirty, that half-naked that half-naked Jewish guy laying on the side of the road. Uh, That's messy. That's messy stuff. Uh, I don't want to... It's messy. I want to go over and deal with the clean stuff. Do you see? Anybody got ears to hear? I don't want to get involved in this messy business of people laying in the ditches. I just want to do what makes me feel good. Got ears to hear? Kind of hurts when you hear it. The best we can tell, let me give you another contrast. The best I can tell, when Jesus, you remember, okay, let's, let's pull back from the story. Uh, you remember the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well? the best I can tell, uh, I've said that three times, it looks like the first person that Jesus reveals his Messiahship to, outside of his uh, direct 12 disciples, was a Samaritan woman oh man that ought to speak volumes did you hear me the first person that he tells with his mouth I am Messiah he was keeping it a secret he wasn't telling anybody only a circle the first one he tells was a Samaritan woman how's he do you have ears to hear and he's the same one telling this story right And a woman. And and not just a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. I thank God for his wonderful mercy and this parable. Because it reveals the first two religious Jewish guys as empty religion. He just tells the truth. Um, Law and religious legalism without mercy is meaningless in the kingdom of heaven without mercy the priest and the levite who walked on the other side of the road are both religious entities but both lack mercy they have no love they they could care less for that guy laying on the road and Jesus is coming to reveal, I died for that guy laying on the road. I died for him. And you won't go over there and you claim you represent me? You don't represent me because I would have went over there and picked him up. You see where he's going? So let's do something. Pull away from the parable. Let's go to James 3.17. And he said, but James says, but the wisdom from above, and let's just insert parables, because what do you think parables are? It's just wisdom from God revealed through Jesus Messiah. The wisdom from above is, first of all, pure, it is also peace loving, it's gentle at all times, and it's willing to yield to others, it's full of mercy it's full of good deeds what what this wisdom that comes from god it's full of mercy it's full of good deeds it shows no favoritism and it's always sincere and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness so let's go down to Matthew 9:10 jesus is going to live out his own parable teaching How? Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. So so who's who's in the dinner party? Tax collectors. If you know anything about the Jewish people, they hated tax collectors worse than Samaritans. What were tax collectors? They were Jews that were supporting Rome to rob the money out of the Jewish people. They hated them. They hated every one of them. It'd be hard to find out which one was lower, Samaritans or tax collectors. And what's Jesus doing? He's having dinner with tax collectors and disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees, so let's just insert, this is the kind of people that, that walked on the other side of the road, right? But the Pharisees, the religious dudes, the Pharisees saw who Jesus was having dinner with and they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? That's the NLT translation. But why does he eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. Do you know who he just said, go and learn the meaning of the scripture? The teachers of the scripture. You know who taught the scripture in the Jewish people? The Pharisees. And who just, what? You tell me, go learn the meaning of this scripture. Which means Jesus was telling them, you think you know, but you don't have ears to hear. You don't even know what the scripture is. And he quotes a certain one. So go, here's your homework. Go learn the meaning of this scripture. I want to show mercy not offer sacrifices for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous but those who know they are sinners so I'm exactly where I want to be surrounded by tax collectors and what you call scum it's exactly where I want to be tonight and what scripture do I want you to figure out I want to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. What had they gotten used to? Okay, you got two things, mercy and sacrifice. They had gotten used to offering sacrifices and forgotten about mercy. Why were they offering sacrifices? Sacrifices was to cover their sin, right? You offer sacrifices to pay the penalty of your sin. But he said, I would rather... Give you mercy. I would rather you give mercy and I give mercy. It's better than offering sacrifices. Why don't you just do the mercy instead of the sacrifices? So one last point, and we'll wrap up tonight. Do you know where Jesus began his ministry? The starting point, the starting location, the starting people. And I'm doing this because of uh, tonight's story. We we talked about the Samaritan woman, and. But there's also another, Galilee. If you know anything about Galilee in Jesus' time, Galilee was a place, there were Jews in Galilee, but there were also many Gentiles in Galilee. Versus uh, Judea, down around Jerusalem, was predominantly Jewish people. But Galilee was more Gentile area. So where, where did Jesus begin his ministry? Okay, let me read it to you. Um, When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea. There's where all the Jewish people are. And he returned to Galilee, where many Gentiles live. He went first to Nazareth. Then he left there and moved to Capernaum, beside the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River, in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live. In case you didn't, in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live. Why is he starting there? Because he's starting there. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Who needs help when the great physician comes? The people who are sick. Who needs the light of the world? The people in the dark. The people who sat in the darkness have seen a great light. For those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shunned. From then on, Jesus began to preach. This is kind of the beginning of Jesus' ministry. From then on, Jesus began to preach. Where is he? I'll tell you what, I am happy. He's in Galilee. You know who he's going after? This is the same one that says, You know, you know he told the, the, the Gentile woman, I came to the Jews first. But where's he starting his ministry? In the place where many Gentiles live. And what's his message? Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He could have done that in Judea. He went to Galilee, where the Gentiles live. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that we have ears to hear, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for being here.